You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along on today's show. The first batch of the college football playoff rankings were revealed last night. We'll run through where all the SEC teams are ranked and what it means as we roll towards the end of the season. Also, we will hear from SEC Network's Chris Doring with his thoughts on some of the SEC teams heading into rivalry weekend. And lastly, we'll jump around the conference with the latest on a bunch of schools across the SEC. I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each and every day, five days a week. All right, last night we... Got the first batch of the college football playoff rankings. Not a whole lot of surprises here, but as far as the SEC schools go, starting from the 25 on down, they had Auburn ranked at 22 overall. Auburn, of course, with a couple losses already. Not uh, really a player in the playoff rankings, but if Auburn can pull off an upset of Alabama in the Iron Bowl this weekend, that would shake some things up. And be interesting to see how far Auburn could jump up. Could they get into, you know, that 10, 11, 12 type territory, make a bid for a uh, New Year's Six Bowl. It would be tough just considering where Florida is right now with the one loss, A&M with the one loss, and Alabama. Obviously, the SEC would probably get at least one, if not two teams, into the playoff, but just interesting to see where Auburn ranks. on From there on down, you got to go all the way to number nine, where it was revealed Georgia at 5-2, and two, was the number nine team in the playoff rankings. And here's what it sounded like with the ESPN crew when they revealed Georgia was ninth. I, I think that's a little high, personally, for Georgia at nine. I, I think it's very high. I wasn't surprised at all that Indiana was where it was at 12, but Georgia at nine, higher than expected. It was interesting to have Georgia that high. I wonder if maybe, did they react to seeing JT Daniels impress this past week and said, hey, Georgia's pretty good. Look at that quarterback play. We know they have a good defense, but if Georgia can run the table the rest of the way, they'll be sitting pretty. Again, I I don't have that big of a problem with Georgia being ranked that high because the playoff committee is always kind of favored teams with good defenses, and that's what Georgia has, a good defense, except when they're not playing Alabama or Florida. And that said, we get to the top six because they revealed number five and number six ahead of the top four teams in the playoff rankings, and it was nonetheless Florida at number six and Texas A&M at number five. Here's what it sounded like on the broadcast. Let's look at the six-ranked team in the initial rankings, and it is the Florida Gators. Florida's played brilliantly behind Kyle Trask, but their one loss was on the road against Texas A&M. Just ahead of the Gators at number five is, as expected, A&M. Jesse, what do you think about stacking them up, A&M, Florida, at this point? I like it. I think the head-to-head at this point certainly has to matter. And listen, Texas A&M's been a dominant team. Kellen Mond's been fantastic. Last time we saw them play, they blew out South Carolina 48-3. Now, the question is, will the head-to-head lose value down the road if a Florida were to play Alabama and beat them in the SEC title game? An Alabama team, by the way, that beat Texas A&M by 28 points. So this is showing me the head-to-head matters in the committee's minds now. 
How much weight will that carry, though, down the road? I think that's a big question. I can almost guarantee you if they win the SEC championship, it will matter not oh, yeah. enough to keep Florida behind Texas A&M. Exactly. But for the start, exactly. that's where they are. So Catman says we're going to number one. So let's go to the number one ranked teams, and it is Alabama. For the 19th week in the history of the college football playoff rankings, the Crimson Tide on top. No one else is close to that. In fact, it's more than double uh, the number of times anyone else has been at number one. So that's what it sounded like last night as they revealed the top six teams. Alabama coming in at number one, followed by uh, Texas A&M at number five, and Florida at number six. Just looking at the playoff rankings as a whole, they have Notre Dame number two, Clemson number three, Ohio State number four. Notre Dame beat Clemson head-to-head, so that's why they are ahead of them in the rankings. And Ohio State sitting there at fourth. Uh, Of course, an outside chance A&M could jump into that top four spot, but as Peter Burns tweeted last night, he said, well, I love A&M at five. It likely doesn't matter unless Bama and Notre Dame win out and Ohio State wins the Big Ten. In that scenario, it would mean... Bama wins out, they hand Florida their second loss. Notre Dame wins out, they they hand Clemson their second loss. And Ohio State wins the Big Ten, so that would knock out Northwestern or any of those other teams in the Big Ten from possibly entering the picture. That would be the scenario that the Aggies could possibly get in. So if you're an A&M fan, you're rooting hard for Alabama and Notre Dame to win out. If Florida beats Bama in the SEC Championship, Bama will probably get in over A&M. And if Clemson wins the ACC title game, Notre Dame likely gets in over A&M unless it's a big blowout. So the Aggies will need help even if they go 9-1. and one. The only issue I kind of had with, and again, this could be debated, but putting A&M number 5 and Florida number 6, everybody goes back to the head, head-to-head, obviously. Oh, they beat them head-to-head, so clearly they should be ahead of them. Not necessarily. I think resume matters. And when you look at what A&M has done this year, They lost by three touchdowns to Alabama on the road. They beat Florida, again, late in that game by a field goal uh, when Florida fumbled the ball around midfield and A&M had a short field to go down. I'm not trying to diminish the win for A&M. It is a great win, but we can't act like they didn't get a little bit lucky. I think if A&M and Florida played on a neutral field this weekend, Florida's a favorite. Credit A&M. They got it done, but look at the rest of their resume. Uh, Five-point win over Vanderbilt. Two touchdown score uh, win over Mississippi State. You beat Arkansas by 11, and they completely demolished South Carolina. But the point being, what's AM's best win? It's Florida. After that, it's nothing. For Florida, you know, look, they lost AM on the road by the field goal, but they do have a top five or, or beat Georgia when they were ranked in the top five and beat them pretty handily. Again, losing the head to head, it's up for debate, but we will see. And again, if Florida goes into the SEC title game and is able to beat Alabama, they will get in. Here was the uh, head of the selection committee, Gary Barda, talking about Florida and A&M. Same perspective on Texas A&M and Florida, solely a head-to-head situation? Yeah, uh, you know, they're both terrific teams. Uh, Florida is is playing at a high level. Kyle uh, Kyle Trask is playing a Heisman uh, level as well. Uh, But when it came down to it, they were close enough uh, you know, the only loss that Texas A&M has is to number one ranked Alabama. And uh, as a committee, we just decided that uh, that they deserve to be a, a, a nod ahead. Again, no issue with it. I just think at the end of the year, we may look back and say Florida had some more quality wins. A&M's remaining games left are against LSU, Tennessee, and at Auburn. And of course, Auburn is currently ranked in the top 25. If they remain there, 
then yeah, A&M has a great chance to go get a quality road win over our good Auburn team. So we'll see uh, how that works out. But uh, just looking on the on the outside, you have the haves and the have-nots, the teams that could potentially get in there, those at-large teams. BYU sits at 14 in the initial college football playoff rankings. Coastal Carolina way down there at 20. So it doesn't really look like there's going to be an opportunity for an outsider to jump in. Cincinnati sits there at 7. Again, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm trying to figure out if I've got an open week somewhere that I can go schedule a big dog, try to add to my resume. And Northwestern sitting at 8 is interesting just from a standpoint if they play Ohio State in the Big Ten title game and they get a win. I mean, can you imagine Northwestern getting into the playoff? Doesn't it feel like they would just get their butts handed to them by an Alabama or Notre Dame or Clemson or Florida? Just my opinion. But that is the initial college football playoff rankings. All right, when we return, we're going to hear from Chris Doring. He sounding off on a lot of the games heading into this weekend and a lot of topics going around the SEC. We'll hear from Doring next. You know, it's Thanksgiving week, and there was a lot to be thankful for. And sometime this week, you need to find yourself being thankful for Coors Light. We got football all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. No better time to be thankful. Sit down, relax on your couch with your loved ones or social distancing, however you want to do it. Just make sure you got an ice-cold Coors Light in your hands. We tell you all the time, Coors Light wants to know that no matter what sport you are watching – that watching football is your time to chill. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It is as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. They got those skinny cans now with the blue mountains on the side. You know it's ice cold. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you guys want to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. That is Coors Light. Get them in their new look cans delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And please, whatever you do, remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Literally just came out from checking the mail and I had a new box of Built Bars right in my box and super excited because now I could go ham on Thanksgiving or turkey, whatever you prefer, because I know I'll be eating healthier all the other days of the week with my Built Bars. And Built Bar has a special going on this Black Friday that they want you to know about. They're dreaming of a white Christmas beginning Thanksgiving Day at 5 p.m. They're introducing the all-new white chocolate bar. It's white chocolate cookies and cream, white chocolate salted caramel, whichever one you want, two free candy cane brownie bars with every item purchased, only 150 calories in those, and they're offering 25% off all products all weekend long. Go to BuiltBar.com, get 25% off Black Friday, plus don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to get an extra 20% off. That's right. They are absolutely giving these things away. Dreaming of a white Christmas, you want to go check it out at BuiltBar.com. 25% off for Black Friday, plus an extra 20% off with our promo code LOCKEDON. BuiltBar.com. Start living right today because you know you're going to eat like crazy on Thanksgiving. Take care of your body the rest of the week. BuiltBar.com. Rolling along here, Locked on SEC, and want to remind you guys, tomorrow on the podcast, we're going to drop an early edition of our weekend predictions. Week 10 in the SEC, we'll be giving you a full 
breakdown, matchup breakdown of each game and giving you our thoughts on each and every game. So a little bit earlier with it being a holiday week, but uh, you guys will be traveling, doing a lot of the Thanksgiving travel on Thanksgiving Day and um, and on Friday, Black Friday. So a little bit of an added bonus for you guys. You'll have uh, uh, two days to catch up on your matchup breakdowns heading into the games this weekend. Kind of odd. Remember we used to have those you know Friday games, LSU-Arkansas the day after Thanksgiving and you know, a little bit there. We had LSU A and M on Thanksgiving night. Uh, those are no more. We've got all Saturday games, and of course, as we know, one less game already this weekend with Tennessee and Arkansas both off. Vandy and Mizzou playing their makeup game this week. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Chris Doring was on with our buddy Jacob Hester on his radio show yesterday and hitting on a bunch of different topics across the SEC previewing some of the games this weekend and whatnot. Here was Chris Doring his thoughts on where Texas A&M is right now heading into this game against LSU. I'm actually pretty high on Texas A&M right now and that's uh, quite a shift from where I was you know, just about a month and a half ago. You know, I thought uh, what they had been dealing with early in the season was something that had plagued them the last couple seasons. Uh, inconsistency in performance uh, as a team and inconsistency from the quarterback. And I wasn't necessarily buying the offseason hype about Kellen Mond and his improvement, but from what I've seen from him since that Alabama loss, uh, and I watched it up close and personal against my Gators, the way that uh, he's been upright for the majority of the season, very little pressure on him. The offensive line has played really, really well. Uh, you try to blitz him, and, he, and either the offensive line picks it up or the, the quarterback gets it out of his hands. Very uh, very tough to get pressure on, on Kellen Mond right now. And they're taking a lot of pressure off him, literally, with their ability to run the football. I mean, the, the, the duo of Spiller and Smith are, are one of the best in the, in the uh, conference. And uh, don't look now, but their defense is number one in, in total defense uh, after already playing maybe the best two offenses in the conference in Alabama and Florida early in the season. And so they've uh, come a long, a long way as well. So I, I actually am really high on them. I've listened to a lot of debate about people saying, you know, where Texas A&M and Florida should be ranked in the initial college football playoff rankings. I don't even think it's a question, and, and there's not a, a more loyal uh, homer when it comes to Gatorism than I am, but uh, Florida went to Texas A&M and lost head-to-head in, in, in College Station, and the only loss of the season for A&M is, is a blemish to the number one team in the country, the unanimous one, number one team in the country. So I don't, I don't have any question about them being ahead of Florida right now, and I actually think you can make a great argument that they should be ahead of Clemson. During went on to say, of course, the uh, college football rankings coming out last night. He was asked about a scenario of what if Florida is the one lost going to the SEC title game and Bama's undefeated? What if Florida does the impossible and they beat Alabama, handing Bama their first loss, and Florida, of course, is an SEC champion with one loss? Here was Chris Doring. I think a, a one-loss SEC champion that now on their resume would have a win over Alabama uh, no question in my mind. I, I don't care who it is. One loss uh, SEC champion is getting into the college football playoffs this year. Uh, I think if Florida beats Alabama, there's a good chance that, that Florida and Alabama get into the SC, or the uh, college football playoffs. But, um, yeah, certainly at the end of the season, we'll be able to have a, a much better picture of how it's all played out. But I do think this layoff that you guys mentioned a second ago uh, is actually a beneficial thing for Texas A&M. If they can keep their momentum going, like if everything is still as it was when we last saw them, They'll have a chance to play on December 12th and on December 19th, whereas normally they'd be sitting at home if they're not playing in championship Saturday. Uh, that'd be a great opportunity for them to put their best foot forward to the committee before they make the decisions on December 20th. 
Turing also asked about LSU after their big win on the road at Arkansas last weekend, preparing to play this loaded Texas A&M team. Saw some improvement from, from LSU on both sides of the ball. I thought the defense played really, really well, particularly on third down, uh, being able to get off the field on all 10 attempts that Arkansas had. Uh, I thought offensively it was nice to see them uh, be able to run the ball uh, as well as they did and control the, the clock at over 40 minutes of possession. I thought T.J. Finley looked really good against the defense that we've seen some quarterbacks not look that good. And I think the key to playing well against Arkansas's defense is just being patient. So I did see, see some progress from them. Uh, but, I, I, again, I think I think where LSU is right now is, is nowhere near where our, our Texas A&M was last time I saw them play. Uh, I think they're becoming one of the most complete teams in the country. And uh, I think this is a great opportunity for them to, to continue to show to not only the, the college football playoff committee, but the country that they are willing uh, or they are uh, worthy of, of being one of those top four teams. The Georgia Bulldogs, their offense finally looked good. At least their passing game did this past weekend against Mississippi State with the debut of USC transfer JT Daniels. He threw for over 400 yards, first time in a long time a Georgia Bulldog quarterback has done that. Here's Chris Doring on JT Daniels and what took so long for us to see him under center. Yeah, you know, I think if you go back and listen to what JT Daniels' parents said, you know, they actually thanked Kirby Smart for not putting their, their son in a position to go out there when he wasn't completely healthy, when he wasn't going to have a chance to, to look as good as he could once he, he got his, his leg back under him and he, he was conditioned and he had a better feel for the offense. So if his parents are all right with it, then I'm okay with it. And it seems like for whatever reason, um, you know, JT Daniels just wasn't ready to go. Um, and how many times do we see coaches feel the pressure to put guys in maybe before they are ready just to try to, Placate the the media or the fans. So you know, actually, I actually, I've always kind of uh, wondered why we, we as media members, we as fans, think we know more than the coaches that are actually at practice every single day, that are watching the tape of, of practice and going over every single detail uh, more than than the actual you know coaches do. So it's just a uh, it, it was perfect timing in terms of of uh, his readiness to go. Uh, you saw the game plan from Mississippi State was to take away the run and try to pressure JT Daniels. And I thought every time they blitzed him, he was able to make a play down the field in the passing game and actually showed a little more agility and athleticism in the pocket than maybe what I was led to believe would be the case. He eluded a couple free rushers a couple times, uh, including on the touchdown he threw to Kyrus Jackson. So I thought uh, I thought he looked really good. I know it opens up the question of what could have been for Georgia fans had they had him in there sooner. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, this was a much better situation than what it was potentially setting up to be. I was worried about you put JT Daniels in and he doesn't play well. Well, then where do you go from then? Dwan Massas had obviously not been your guy. Stetson Bennett has some, some limitations. Uh, JT Daniels, if he had not have played as well, I think it would have been a, a rough uh, rest of the season there in Athens. But uh, to, to his credit, he came out and looked really, really well in that game plan. Of course, it is rivalry week, and Chris Doring giving his thoughts on the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State. At least their offense starting to look a little bit better with Will Rogers at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Will uh, Will Rogers did a great job. I mean, he again, like like we talked about earlier with uh, T.J. Finley, he was very patient against uh, a defense that Georgia typically doesn't play. They play far more zone than what we're used to seeing from the Bulldogs, and, and uh, I thought Will Rogers did a nice job of. Uh, taking what they were giving, taking advantage of the opportunities when he did have man coverage, and, and being uh, really efficient. A uh, ton of completions, no interceptions. Uh, but again, I think they're still limited right now, and I think the explosive nature of that Ole Miss offense is one that's tough for anybody to match. So 
Um, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Mississippi State can do defensively against Ole Miss. I thought they had a nice plan against Georgia. Um, obviously, they couldn't match up in the secondary, but I did see a lot of penetration up front, um, and that defensive line is one of the better defensive lines in the conference. So that's kind of where I have my eye on. I think Ole Miss probably wins, but I think it's more competitive now than what I would have thought it would have been maybe a month ago if you'd asked me that question. And lastly, Chris Doring giving his thoughts on the SEC schedule that remains, and there's craziness ahead because we know LSU-Alabama, LSU-Florida, a lot of games to be made up here. How is the SEC going to balance it? Here's Chris Doring. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I, I don't, like he said, I don't envy the uh, the schedule makers, the guys that are trying to flip-flop in, in the middle of the season. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced college athletics with as much feel of Little League sports than what we're feeling right now. And, and the fact that that, that uh, game can change um, the week of uh, a scheduled game in, in SEC football is just uh, amazing. But, I, I, you know, even though they're in a disadvantageous position probably this season, I, I think it's important to, to play that LSU-Alabama game. So I do hope it, it gets played, and I'm excited to, uh, to, to see how the rest of the season shakes out for the rest of the entire conference. I mean, it's going to be fun to see. Uh, a sprint to the finish with games even on the 19th on the day of the SEC championship. That audio again, courtesy of our buddy uh, Jacob Hester on ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge, having uh, Chris Doring on, hitting on all the SEC games going into this weekend. Coming up next, we will go around the conference with a bunch of tidbits to get you ready for Week 10 of the SEC. We're all along here, locked on SEC. Special thanks to uh, Jacob Hester and that audio from Chris Doring on his uh, radio show there yesterday. Of course, uh, full breakdown. A lot of it was fun to see on social media. A lot of people melting down over the first batch of college football playoff rankings. Look, these things change all the time. But the bad news for Clemson, I think, typically the team that comes out ranked number three in the initial playoff rankings often does not make postseason or the, the playoffs, so could Clemson be on their way out of, uh, of getting knocked out? Granted, they'll have Trevor Lawrence back, uh, we assume, for the ACC title game, uh, presumably against Notre Dame, so that uh, chance for them to avenge that one and get into the playoff there if everything holds and they win all the rest of their games that they are supposed to. All right, before we get out of here, let's go around the conference with some tidbits around the SEC. Around the conference. First little tidbit, not necessarily an SEC note, but one that could affect the SEC. The CDC is considering shortening the recommended 14-day quarantine period for people exposed to COVID-19 to anywhere between 7 to 10 days to encourage compliance. This would be huge because it would mean... Well, a lot of these games that we've had postponed have been because of the 14-day quarantine period. It's not necessarily a ton of guys coming down with the or being positive with the virus. It's just guys coming into close contact and having to do the 14-day quarantining. If they can change this to 7 to 10 days, hopefully soon, that would help us get in the remaining games for the SEC. It seems like the SEC is pretty committed to trying to get in their entire slate of games and not cancel any but we'll see after this weekend 
what that looks like. College athletic leaders have discussed adjusting the uh, 14-day quarantine period on their own, but they've been waiting for the CDC to make its own move. So this would be some significant move uh, news. Let's see if we can get the ball rolling on this one. Over at Alabama, they're preparing for the Iron Bowl against Auburn. Running back Najee Harris, speaking with the media yesterday, said it's going to be his final home game. Quote, it's been a good ride. This will be my last game at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So no ands, ifs, or buts about it. This will be Najee Harris's last game for the Tide. Alabama cornerback Patrick Sertan said that uh, players will not be going over to coaches' houses for Thanksgiving this year like they have in years past due to the COVID-19 outbreak. He said, quote, I know we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal here at the complex. They're going to do something for us during Thanksgiving. So I'm sure Nick Saban and company will take care of their players. But normally, years past, some of the players or a lot of the players go over to some of the coaches' houses. Not happening this year. Over in Knoxville from Adam Sparks at the Tennessean, he said late season and signing day uh, news complicate the decision on Derek Mason after the UT game postponement. Basically, Vandy's season gets pushed back, so they got to play another game. And then you got signing day, come, you know, the early signing period coming up. Basically, Vandy's going to have a very short window to make a decision whether or not they're bringing Derek Mason back or they're going to make a change. It's a tough situation all around. But if you're Vandy, you can't worry about the signing day. Whoever the new coach is, is going to, you know, you got to give them a pass this year, obviously, with coming back from COVID and obviously not going to have much time in between the transition period. But they get a pass in year one. The hope would be you start building and recruiting for the next season. That shouldn't matter. Vanderbilt just needs to look at the, the resume. If Vanderbilt does not win a game this year, they have to really do some soul searching and wonder if they're happy with the direction of the program under Derek Mason. I would not be surprised if they made a change. And the first phone call I would make would be to Penn State's James Franklin and say, hey, James, I know things aren't going well there at Penn State. Any chance you want to come back over here? Of course, Penn State would have to uh, negotiate a buyout and that sort of thing. But if I'm James Franklin, I go back to Vanderbilt where a lot less pressure there to win. You win two, three games every year and they would love me. Of course, he was beloved first time around at Vanderbilt. Over at Georgia, their basketball team had to cancel their game against Gardner-Webb this weekend. Georgia has now found a replacement game. This Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, they will take on Florida A&M. So, Georgia basketball in action this weekend. Over at Mizzou, Eli Drinkwitz updated his player availability. So that they are now up to 59 scholarship players and no new COVID positives. This might be the most players Mizzou has had available for a game in a while. So that is certainly good news out of Columbia, Missouri. And lastly, Auburn, reading an article on them, they have done a good job of taking out teams' top receivers this season. They did so each of the last three games. When they played Ole Miss, they limited Elijah Moore. When they played LSU, they limited Terrace Marshall Jr., And then this past week, they limited Josh Palmer. Can they do the same with Devontae Smith and Alabama's high-powered offense? Quote from Auburn, we're going to have to do that. So that will be interesting. We will get into uh, breaking down 
more on the Iron Bowl on tomorrow's podcast with our buddy Zach Blackerby from uh, Locked On Auburn because, uh, look, it's it's Iron Bowl week, and we just haven't talked a whole lot about it yet. So looking forward to doing that on tomorrow's show. And we will also do an early preview weekend matchups and breakdowns and everything you need to know for all six games in the SEC coming up this weekend. Thankful we're getting six games. Tennessee and Arkansas are not playing, but everybody else is. I'm looking forward to that. I'm Chris Gordy. Appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On SEC. Huge episode tomorrow. Getting you set for your full slate of games during rivalry week in the SEC. Y'all guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.